Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. Hi, guys, and welcome back to the Ladies Who Law School podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Haley. And we are back. It's 2023. We haven't chatted ooh, ooh, since ooh. 2022, which is like crazy. Feels like forever, um, but right? Yeah. But if you've noticed that we've been MIA, there's good reason. Um, if you follow us on Instagram, you know we've been studying for the bar since. November. Um, and now yeah. we're ramping it up. We've been studying full time. Um, we haven't been working. And yeah, so we've missed you guys. And we wanted to give you guys some content and also an update on like what we're doing to study for the bar because a lot of you that are taking the bar in July have been messaging us on Instagram asking us like what we're doing and if we like our new program. And we're here to give you all the tea. Of course, we haven't taken the bar yet. So take this with a grain of salt as you're listening because we we don't know our results. Granted, we really yeah. like what we're doing so far. So shall we tell them? Yes. First, I want to preface, like Samantha said, that we haven't taken the test and we're working our way through the program and, you know, learning all this material. And that's probably the craziest part. Um, I know this time we're really focusing on memorization and we are working, uh, you know, in two different cities. Last time when we took this exam, we were to get together, together, just to, you know, a floor apart at our apartment complex. And now we're in different states. So that's definitely been, you know, different for me, I would say this time, but we have also incorporated new and improved techniques. So we have been using, if you guys have followed us on Instagram, you've seen a few stories that we've posted. Um, we're using Themis this time around. So the first time around, we used Barbary and Adaptabar side by side. Um, and you know what? It just wasn't our cup of tea. There's nothing wrong with Barbary. You know, a lot of people use it and pass, but it just wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't a right fit for us. Right. So we decided that the second time around, we weren't going to, you know, continue with the same program that we used the first time. Yeah. But also let's take a step back, just actionable things, right? Why maybe we didn't like using Barbary. Um, you know, just, 
not disparaging, not saying anything negative, but simply the facts. It's a lot of material and the way it is presented via Barbary is, um, a lot and it can be a little bit overwhelming. And whenever you are using a program that has a checklist or something that kind of like walks you through it while it feels good in the moment, um, it can be really passive learning. So, um, that was one of the big things that I think hindsight we realized with using Barbary that there were a lot of times we were just trying to check a box. So I just wanted to yeah. give that out there so that, you know, you're wondering like, well, why didn't you like it? So that's one of the big things that I think now after using it, right. Mm -hmm. Um, going through the exam, um, you know, it didn't really harp on memorization. No, you know, I mean, I said, we're doing a lot more of that this time. From what I remember, I guess, cause it's good to kind of like preface before we jump into like what we're doing now. Yeah. Um, this has been a while. I, I felt like, yeah, I felt like there was just a lot of information that was kind of thrown at us um, that I didn't mm-hmm. know how to necessarily organize in my brain in a good and way. Learn. You know, like, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I think the way that the materials presented is super um, important and different mm-hmm. companies have different ways that they present the material to you, whether that's eight hour long lectures or shorter lectures, like there are yeah. a ton of different um, ways. So why Speaking don't we of shorter tell people, lectures? Yeah, shorter lectures. We are big fans of shorter lectures. Yes, and that is something that whenever we started doing some research on, because if you use Barbary the first time, you can reuse it again. Okay. But we were like, just like Samantha said, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to be crazy insane, right? Like the, the idea that doing the same thing over and over gets you the same result. Like that's insanity, right? So we thought, okay, we need to do some research. We talked to a few people and we heard about UWorld and how UWorld was some of the best questions that you could do. And we're like, what do you mean? They're all the same questions, right? No, it's the explanations, right? It's all about explaining to you why you get the answer wrong, whether it's an essay or whether it's a multiple choice question. So your world was all about multiple choice. And we were both like, okay, well, we need help on our multiple choice. So, you know, let's use them. And they are partners with Themis. And so we decided, okay, perfect. Like we want to do bite off the whole apple. Let's do it. And we got in their program and we started using it the day it opened back in November. And, you know, we've just been powering through ever since. Um, obviously we have not used the program in full. We are still studying for the bar, like we said, but there are some really good things about these programs that we want to share with you. And one of the main points we even want to bring all this up and even talk about these different bar prep programs is because when you go to take the bar exam, it is one of the most expensive and important times of a young lawyer's life. And we want you to make an educated decision on what program you choose to invest your money in and in turn, invest in yourself. So going back to some of these great perks... We've noticed, like I said, uh, shorter videos. We love shorter videos. That is something that Themis offers. Shorter videos as well as these little quizzes after you watch the video. Um, also, and different I would things say like that. that the fillable PDFs have been mm, yes. game changers. Because, okay, when 
as a comparison, when I was watching an eight hour lecture, yes, Mm -hmm. there was like an outline to follow, but it wasn't like fill in the blanks or anything. Um, This time around, it's like short, sweet, you fill in the blanks, it gets you those buzzwords that you need to know for the exam. Mm -hmm. It makes it stick in my brain at least a little bit more. Um, so yeah. I really like that aspect. And also if you have an iPad, you can download all of their little PDFs and just have them on your iPad. So you don't have to print them out and, you know, lug around a bunch of books. So I really like that aspect. Absolutely. Love those. Those such good points too. Yeah. You world is a part of Themis. So the questions that you are going to be doing on this program, if you choose to use them would be you world based questions, meaning that the explanations on the questions are there. And again, uh, one thing I really, really enjoyed and something that um, I noticed is how important to me specifically, I don't know, I would love to know your opinion too, Samantha, how Im- uh, those explanations are. And I think that it's so important for me to be able to understand. <laughs> And really anyone, let's be honest. But I, I think now I'm realizing how important it is. And something that I really enjoy is that they tell you where it comes from in the outline, where what the law is specifically testing, you know, if it's accomplice liability, um, you know, and it tells you the rule. So, you know, sometimes you I don't even read the whole explanation. I just go down to the rule and read that. And then I'm like, okay, but how does this work? And so it's so nice to have those good explanations. And it really is helping me learn the law this time. And Going back to, again, the memorization part of it that I think is very important, um, that helps a lot. Just to, You just got to get those nuggets. Yeah. But what do you and think about the U-World explanations and things like that? So I was about to say, first, I love that they have little graphics because I'm a visual mm. learner and I love yep. their little charts and graphics that they put in the explanations. Not every question has them, but a lot do. Like the ones that are, mm-hmm. you know, like... If you get a parole evidence one, like you're going to have a little chart that pops up and like will tell you, you know? Um, so I love that. I also love how the explanations, like every single question, it'll kind of like tell you a little breakdown of the rule. And then it'll be like here and break down the facts from the question mm-hmm. that coincide with the rule. And that has been so helpful to me because I've started noticing in questions like I... I don't know. I just analyze them differently. I just feel like that nugget of like here, this fact goes with this part of the rule. Like it just clicks in my brain. Um, so that's my no, favorite and, part of the, the And that's a part of a learning process too. Like how you're saying being able to learn the rule because learning a law, rule, whatever elements in isolation is only a part of it. You know, you have to see how it all coincides. And I think there's so many times, especially on multiple choice questions where the facts just slightly changing can change everything, you know? Mm -hmm. So I totally agree. It's just such a good breakdown. And rather than being in a thick, chunky paragraph, it's nice and broken out, bolded with a nice graphic. So depending on what kind of learner you are, it hits all the all the nails on the head there. So no, I totally think that uh Themis did a great job by buying New World one. And two, I think that them incorporating and all that coming together. I mean, we obviously didn't know the Themis product before, but it's just so it's, it's a good product. I was going to say for you guys who um, like your tech in dark mode, 
<laughs> this is like super nerdy. You can put your <laughs> new world in dark mode, <laughs> unlike other MBE prep things. Um, so it's yeah. better on the eyes if you want to do it at night. So that's just another perk, you know, like a nerdy perk. But you're you such know. a techie. You're such a techie. <laughs> and you can like, you're change like... the font. I mean, you can do this in other MBEs, but like the the night night shift or whatever it's called. It's great. It's nice. Yeah. Great for I this bet, late I night bet. sesh. <laughs> yes. Um, no, for sure. And oh, I will say too, like since we're just like on the train of like hyping Themis up, um, I do like the fact that they grade your um, essays and return them really quickly. Mm, yes. That's another great aspect. Yep. Um, because I remember. Yeah. And that's a part we, of the program, right? Yeah. You'd get that. Yeah. So far guys, it's been great. Obviously we haven't taken the test, so there's not like, Stay it's tuned. not like we can say too much, you know? Um, but compared to our experience we, last time, it's definite. I feel like we just have a better grasp of like what we're doing. Um, and like I said, the presentation of the material really matters. And I think this time, the shorter lectures, the outlines that help you follow it better, it just kind of worked better with our schedules. No, for sure. And, you know, like I said about the shorter lectures, and like you said, for people studying for the July bar exam, you know, we're coming from this at a slightly weird spot because this isn't our first time to see all this information. So, you know, like I said about the previous bar prep program that we used, it was very overwhelming. Like that could be with any bar prep program when you first start because this information is overwhelming and a lot. So I just want to preface that, but it is nice when you small chunk the information together and you kind of just build and build and build rather than, um, so much information in a long time because in a long span of time, like five hours or so, because your brain just doesn't function that way. So I think that that is something that, you know, has been nice to uh, really just hype on for people who are trying to make that decision as they go forward. Yeah. And, you know, we're here to answer all your questions. If you guys like after the bar, of course, because we're really busy right now, after the bar, yeah. once you've taken it, we'll share like our experience. But if you guys have any specific questions on the programs we've used, you know, you can email us, you can DM us and after the bar, we'll get back to you and kind of give you our personal review. Um, because yeah, everyone's different. Everyone learns different and there's a lot of options out there. So again, we've been MIA, but we wanted to get on here and give you guys some content for this new year. This episode that we uh, pre-recorded in 2022 is so good for anybody who is a pre-law student, a law student, somebody taking the bar like us, or even someone who's practicing. So we recorded and chatted with Diane O'Leary. She is a professor at Suffolk. She wrote a book called Legal Innovation in Tech, a practical skills guide for a modern lawyer. And you guys know we love a good modern lawyer here. So let's dive in and chat with Professor O'Leary. Please help us welcome Professor Diane O'Leary. Hi, Diane how are you? I'm well. I'm excited to, to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Of course. So let's just start off. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm a professor of legal writing and director of the innovation and technology concentration up at Suffolk Law School in Boston, which is um, a, a regional law school, but pretty big. I think we're the fifth or sixth largest law school in the country. So a lot of students going in and out of those doors. Um, and I've been there for about a decade and had had practice experience before that. But um, this year marks my 10th year uh, as a full-time faculty member uh, in legal education. Amazing. Wow. I Love actually, that, so much. that was my, the second school that I was maybe going to go to, but I couldn't justify being in Boston. Yeah, <laughs> we, it's actually great. We have, it has a great regional reputation, mm-hmm. but more and more I'm amazed at how many of my students are coming from other parts in the country. I think Boston's a, frankly, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but a cool, great city. And oh, so if you're, sure. gonna, if you're going to hop somewhere else for law school, I think it attracts students from, um, from all across the country and the world. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. It's like an awesome school and awesome programs. So, and I, you guys also have a night program, right? That's known. Yeah, we have a very popular evening division. So Suffolk, when it was founded, was founded on the idea of kind of bringing a legal education, not just to kind of a traditional person a hundred years ago who may have qualified for one, but kind of the, the working man, if you will, a hundred years ago. Um, and so that tradition has really continued trying to think, how do we make legal education available to everyone? And so it's a four-year part-time program. And then in the past three or four years, even before uh, the pandemic, we developed a new um, hybrid JD program where students come for their first year in person and then, frankly, disappear in terms of a physical presence and can do their real years completely online. So, again, that's kind of the, the next generation of what it means to kind of be a, a flexible program for today's modern student. And um, that's been really popular the past year or two, so we're excited to see where that goes as well. Today's modern student. I love that. I love hearing that. Yeah, so, yeah, I let's... Really, go ahead. No, yeah. I just, I want to talk about your law school experience. So, tell us where you went to law school and how you got started in the profession. Sure. So, I'm actually a graduate of Suffolk Law School. So, if I, I brag about nice. it and feel, and feel a kinship to it, it's, it's um, not hard to guess why. So, I went to college. I'm from the Boston area. I went to college out um, down in Philadelphia. I wanted to come back. Um, and really was drawn to Suffolk's kind of reputation in the region. And, and people said, if you want to practice in Boston, you know, everyone knows a, a Suffolk lawyer. Um, so I had a great three years there. I was pretty general. I, you know, was one of those students that didn't fake knowing what I wanted to do right away. And I was pretty open with the idea that I didn't know what I wanted to do, and which I think really helps connect with um, with students today on the other side. But I ended up... Um, taking a position at a big firm in Boston and did the whole big law thing for about three or four years. Um, I clerked. I really wanted to clerk. So I left after about three years from my big firm and clerked for a federal district court judge, which was a dream job. He had to kick me out the door uh, screaming um, because I wanted to stay because it was just such a great learning experience. And then went back to uh, Wilmer Hale in Boston, which is where I had been for another few years. I started teaching at the time and, and knew that was kind of what I wanted to do. Um, and then in about 2011, um, I left Wilmer Hale and then started teaching full time. Very, very cool. So I have to ask, you know how there's the saying that the people in the top of the class, they're going to end up being teachers and all of that. So were you in the top of your law school class and how how was law school for you grade wise and learning all the knowledge that comes with law school? 
Yes. So um, it feels like a while since I've, I've thought about that because I always try to focus students so much around their effort and their planning and their preparation and their working and, and away from the transcript. But yes, I was fortunate enough. Law school, I think, just kind of came easy to me and I put in the time um, and did finish at the top of my class. And at Suffolk, you know, the reality is we all know legal education has so much about rankings and reputation and, and getting your foot in the bo- door to those yeah. big firms. Um, so the big firms in Boston recruited from Suffolk and, and they recognized that the top student at Suffolk was going to be just as great a lawyer, frankly, as the top student from, you know, the top 20 ranked law schools. And so, um, I felt like I did what I needed to do, uh, during law school to prepare me and walked in the door of that big firm, trying not to have, you know, kind of any chip on my shoulder about not going to high ranked school. Um, and it worked out well. I remember a partner pulled me aside and said, never apologize for, you know, not going to to the Michigan or the Stanford or the Yale. You deserve to be here. You work hard. You're smart. No one's going to care where you went to law school. They're going to care who you are and how hard you work. Um, and I'll, I tell my students that today. And um, I think it was the most beneficial thing I ever heard coming out of law school. Oh, I love that so much. Yes, everyone, you heard it. We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you're currently hooked on Never Lie by Frida McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. Okay, so when did you decide that you wanted to start teaching? Yeah, so it was always actually in the back of my mind. My father was a high school vice principal and teacher. My mom was an elementary school teacher. And it was always kind of a a thing I thought about. Um, And then my second year at Wilmer Hale, a partner uh, pulled me aside and asked if I wanted to help her prep for a class she was teaching at Northeastern law school in Boston. And I said, sure, sounds fun, and helped her out a few times and really fell in love with it. And I said, how do I do more of that? So I took over her class the next year, which was, you know, crazy. You're, you're balancing billable hours at a big law firm and then trying to get to two hours a week teaching a class and grading papers. Um, but she said, you know, if you love this, figure out a way to make it your full-time job. Um, and so that mm-hmm. kind of stuck with me. And I was an adjunct professor 
uh, probably about two or three years, the judge that I clerked for down in Providence taught um, a trial advocacy and evidence class at Roger Williams Law School, which is um, still the only law school in Rhode Island, if Mm -hmm. not definitely the most popular. Um, So I would go down with him when I clerked and kind of be in his classroom and help him. And I just, I really started to feel that feeling and people, it's really true. You have to figure out a way to make your job something you like. Um, and I knew immediately that I liked that, frankly, so much more than the actual practice of law and just felt like I had a knack for it. Um, and then I was fortunate enough when a full-time position opened up at Suffolk in 2011, applied for that then. So you went back to where it all started. Yeah. Back to where it all started. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, it's hard, like you said, going, you know, the top of the class, yes, but, but going on the market in academia is a challenge. And um, there's a lot of competitiveness. There's a lot of focus on, on your rankings and your scholarship and a circuit court clerkship. And I didn't have necessarily all of that. Um, yeah. And I had to be a realistic ge- geographically where I wanted to be, which was in Boston and where I needed to be for my family. Um, so it actually ended up being the perfect fit, but it's, it's interesting now talking to candidates interviewing at Suffolk and hearing their journey. And it's amazing how much of that is still based on things that frankly don't have much relevance to how good someone is in a classroom. I think we've probably all, and all your listeners have experienced teachers that frankly have zero practice experience. Um, but they went to a, you know, high ranked law school, or perhaps they've published 12 law review articles and there's value in all of that. And I think that's great. But at the same time, I also think there's value in just really good teachers coming into the classroom with a lot of actual practice experience that they can draw on. So I like to think, even though now I've been out of practice, what feels like a long time, I like to think I can still bring kind of a balance of both to my students. I know in law school, we definitely loved our professors that had practice. It just felt like they knew what's up. I don't know. They, you know, like we, of course we had our professors our first year, like you said, that had never practiced. They went to like top three law schools and they're very like, it was very academic talk and not real life, you know, like we're all going to be practicing lawyers in real life. So hearing, um, getting taught by real life lawyers is great. Yeah. And I think, you know, the best teachers have that blend because I think there is value in that theory and that deep thinking and that critical analysis. Um, and, and yes, people without practice experience can do an amazing job at that. Um, but I, I like to think kind of that hybrid approach is best for students to have that theory, have that high level stuff, and then be able to say, well, one time I drafted this type of contract and, and here's what happened or here's why the client was upset. Um, because again, I think that just students perk up at that. Um, and it helps them really understand, like, why the heck they're sitting there learning all this. Yes, because sometimes it's hard to put context in it. You know, like, I know, like you said, in contracts first year, unless you've seen a contract, like, what's a contract for, yeah. you know? Um, so the real life experience is really great. I think there's also a big tilt lately to kind of think about more transactional skills in the, so that's a bigger mm-hmm. conversation. But when you think about law school, it's so litigation-based, right? You, you, you read case law, that's litigation-based. You read appellate decisions. In your first-year legal writing class, you usually do memos and briefs, and there's more electives on trial advocacy and perhaps less on transactional drafting and, um, and some of those kind of more transactional. So colleagues of mine at Suffolk have done some work in that area, trying to bring attention to kind of thinking, why aren't we preparing students for a more kind of broader business transactional aspect of law and, and kind of just calling out legal education? 
um, a colleague of mine wrote an article called Litigation Bias and, and just talking about how law school really points students' head um, in a certain direction and that we should be more purposeful about maybe not doing that. What would you say is your tip as a teacher, as a professor of such a, you know, important part of a 1L's law school journey? What would you say to that 1L that's getting ready to start or that, you know, the pre-law student as they get ready? Well, you know, what can you tell them that would help them with writing and you know, just wrapping their head around what is to come in the future. Yeah, I think um, students, I think the best advice I give students, for at least from what they tell me that really makes a difference, is to practice the material more than learn it, right? And so students kind of start off by that very kind of case prep, class prep mentality, and they've seen the movies and they don't want to be embarrassed in class, yeah. so they'll memorize the facts of a case, But we all know, ultimately, that's actually not going to be that helpful for them on an exam, per se. So I think the students that do well are the ones that actually practice the material, meaning actually pull out their laptop and practice writing. The issue here is whether Samantha, you know, can bring a lawsuit against Haley Um, and and not just kind of regurgitating the material to a friend, Mm -hmm. but actually practicing it. Um, It sounds vague, but when I do that with students, they say, what do you mean actually type it? I said, pretend you're doing the exam, take out your laptop and actually write. The issue here is whether there's diversity jurisdiction. Diversity jurisdiction requires, um, and then you're basically taking the exam before you take it. Um, And so the students that I do that with when I used to do academic support and still now in legal writing and tech, when I kind of put on my mentor hat and meet with students, um, I think that's the number one thing first semester. So kind of move more eggs into the practice bucket and perhaps over the semester, less eggs in the class prep day to day. You know, I'm stressed about the case in class. I just don't know that that really gives them much bang for their buck. Also, um, the way you describe that, it's like you need to know how to write like that for the bar exam. So why not start way early and get really good at it? Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of law school professors, perhaps more so than when I was in law school, I think definitely are now trying to integrate a little bit of that into their class. So this is what I expect on an exam. Here's how I expect you to you know, analyze the issues. I do want you to use case law. I don't want you to use case law. I think when I was in law school, it was a big mystery, right? No one really gave us anything. It was just kind of right for three hours. So that's, I think, um, a step in the right direction. But I have so many students that kind of have an aha moment and they say, wait, um, the first year LPS class, which is what our legal research and writing required class is called, is kind of no different from how I'm organizing my analysis on my exams. And it's kind of no different to how I'm going to organize analysis on my bar essays. And of course we say, uh-huh. Exactly. Um, but it's nice to see when that, you know, that clicks at different times. Um, but I think over the course of the three years, the students just realize that that's just writing and that's just lawyers doing analysis and it's not um, unique to any kind of one context. It's very true. All right. So let's talk about innovation in tech. So how would you start, like, why is it important in the legal world like start us off like we don't know anything. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say start us off like we don't know anything because a lot of students ask me that when they hear about the concentration or they hear about the work that I do. And so there's one kind of big definition setting at the beginning of the discussion. So we hear 
a lot about the um, law of technology versus technology of law. So if we think about those <laughs> as two paths, um, the law of technology is how basically society keeps up with all the crazy new advances in our world. So can the police get a warrant for your Alexa device? Um, you know, what happens when your smart car hits someone? Are you liable? Can you be yeah. sued for sexual harassment in the metaverse? Those are substantive issues of law, tort, privacy, whatever it is, that are kind of having to keep pace as technology evolves. So that is kind of a whole substantive area of law, right? Kind of a field upon itself, new regulations, new statutes, trying to keep up with new technology, that's not what I focus on. So that's kind of one path. My mm. focus is more uh, the technology of law, meaning no matter if you're doing family law, property, you're a prosecutor, you're an in-house counsel, mm. you're you know a, a solo Main Street lawyer on the back roads of you know Main Street USA. Whoever. The idea is how can you use technology and innovative changes in your practice to deliver services more efficiently and effectively? So that's you know, came out of my work in the legal practice skills class because writing is an important skill, but frankly, the modern lawyer doesn't just write, right? They do so many other things today. Um, so it's trying to think about that broadly, how lawyers use technology or frankly can and should um, use technology to do their lawyering better, no matter the type of lawyering they're doing. So that's really my lane, not so much of technology of law, um, not so much of law of technology as kind of a substantive area, like artificial intelligence, et cetera, but really thinking about it from a skills-based point of view. So what would you say law firms, lawyers, like yeah. what are, what do they need to start off with tech? You know, like a good computer, like what, what is it? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And what's interesting to think about, and um, I'm, I guess, old, but not that old, right? I, I graduated law school, what, I think like 15 years ago now almost. Um, so yes, that I've been out for a while. But when we think about kind of today's generation of students and new lawyers, right, we hear a lot about kind of them being digital natives. You all, me, kind of, and definitely my students today grew up just saturated with technology. So I think, there's a lot out there that says, well, well, these students get it, right? They they know Google Cal, they know how to, you know, send text messages, they know social media, they're good. And what's been interesting over the past, you know, five or six years that I've really started to think about this in law students is students are really tech comfortable, right? They're they're confident and they're comfortable with technology, but it's not always kind of that tech competence that actually the model rules of professional conduct are ethical rules now require. So that's kind of the fascinating thing when we think like what technology do new, mo new modern lawyers need, it's easy to think, well, they have it. Like everyone, you know, when you're in your 20s, yeah. you're in your, you, you know technology. Um, so that's kind of the why, why I think people need to actually think about this because it's not so automatic um, when we think about it for professional lawyers. So um, I, I guess if someone said, you know, what are your top 10 things to think about? Um so automation, document automation, right? If, if you're drafting a will for someone and you do the same will 38 times a week, there's probably a way to automate that, right? And make it a lot more efficient and effective. Um, so that's just one example. Basic document proficiency, right? If you're working on an 80-page brief, do you know how to do styles? Do you know how to do an automated table of contents, default margins, small things to structures of document? Do you know how to redact a PDF? Um, 
in the legal research realm, analytics, right? Visualization tools. Do you know how to use document builders, brief builders, kind of new advanced research tools that are making research, um, frankly, much easier and much, um, much more cost effective? Um, ESI, e-discovery, big data, right? Do you know what that is? Do you know how to get help with it? Do you know the basics of um, TAR, which is technology-assisted review, right? There's not always a lawyer clicking through every document. In every case, investigation, antitrust, merger, right? Everything involves big data now. Um, law practice management, your day-to-day, your calendaring, your voice stuff, your, your tech, your Zoom, your mobile lawyering, your remote lawyering, kind of big picture, how courthouses are evolving, how virtual data rooms are evolving, but even your individual stuff, your own practices. Security is a huge other thing when we think about kind of technology skills that, frankly, all of us in our personal life are probably a little lax about. Um, which is perhaps fine for my social media pictures, but when we think about, you know, client work product and confidences, yeah. that's a scary thing to think what's floating around, um, especially as we all go remote and work from anywhere and everywhere and the threats of, of cybersecurity just keep getting dicier. Um, so that's kind of just a sampling of the type of things that I try to integrate in my class and that I write about just to get lawyers thinking about how does technology impact what I do every day and how might it make it um, a little bit easier and frankly better for my clients. So what I'm wondering is, you know, there's still a lot of law firms that are stuck in the old times, you know, they don't want to integrate technology and, mm. you know, yes. Um, so how, how do we convince them or how should we approach that? Like, you know, and to add on to that question, where do you start? Like, I feel like listening to that list, there was something every law firm can use, right? No matter what you're doing, no matter what kind of work you're doing. So where do you start with that? And, and like saying this asked and how do we convince everyone to get on board with it? Yeah, those are great, really important, really difficult questions. I think I would suggest we think at, think about it from kind of a macro, micro point of view, right? So, so not all of us are going to be in charge of a 300-person law firm or a 90-person in-house legal department, but, but we might, right? And our students in, in years might. So from the macro point of view, um, you know, I have to say, I think security is probably the most important thing. Um But also the micro point of view is more your individual practices. So if you're a lawyer at a big firm, you are not going to be in charge of their Lexus subscription. You're not, right? You're not going to be in charge of suggesting they they use a new dashboard legal vendor, which is a cool new interface, kind of getting out of the email drudgery and trying to put kind of your dashboard and case management in a more effective way. Um, You're probably not going to be giving a subscription service to your law firm. But you can do your own stuff, right? You can make sure your ducks are in a row with your password and your document management, your task management, your calendaring integration. So that's one thing to think about. You're not always going to be able to make those macro big, you know, I want to change the way a law firm or a legal department works. Um, But you always can at least do your own micro stuff. You cannot fiddle with your margins every time. You can set them and forget it in a default way, right? You can set up email templates. If you write the same type of email all the time, set up a template. Save yourself 38 seconds every day, right? That adds up. Um, So I don't have a magic answer. There's actually a huge growing new field. It's not even new. It's just still growing of legal operations 
and project management, process improvement, people that are working in law firms as legal process improvement managers and doing exactly what you just asked. What, what are our weaknesses? Where do we not serve our clients well? Where are our kind of areas of drudgery, frankly? Um, and how can we kind of do better? Um, so, you know, I think that just goes to show it's not an easy change. Lawyers are reluctant, of course, reputationally to kind of do anything out of the norm. I was at a conference a few weeks ago um, and someone who's, who's an in-house um, kind of process improvement manager said that she finds that it's not enough for her lawyers if she says this is going to make your life two times better to do something new. Um, it has to be like 10 times better for them to actually change. So humans and lawyers were so stuck in our ways with our workflow. Um, and it was fascinating to hear her say, it's not enough for me to just say, hey, but this is better. Um, they'll still say, no, thank you, right? I'll, I'll do it my old way. And she has to really say this is almost like 10 times better. So it's just that human kind of, frankly, reluctance to, to do anything out of our comfort zone. Um, so macro, I think there's people professionally that are working on just that. Um, and micro, we can be in charge of our own thing and educate those around us as much as we can if we're not in a position where we're going to be kind of making those management type of decisions. One okay, day, so, though. Yes, <laughs> one day. Um, okay, so for like a solo lawyer, they want to go out you know, on their own and they ask you like, what is the one piece of technology I need to invest in, you know, to start off my practice? I don't have that much, but you know, what's the one thing, what would you suggest? Yeah. So I think that's definitely a law practice management um, system. And so um, a lot of new products over the past decade have tried to kind of bundle that into an all-in-one. Let's be honest. We all love the idea of kind of an all-in-one. It's one monthly payment. It's one security touch point. Um, there's something nice in that. So Clio is a big one, Practice Panther. Um, I think Rocket Lawyer might be another big one. So this is the idea of kind of your, your client files, your client communication. So kind of a portal instead of, you know, traditional email, um, your voice to text system, your billing, all of that, it's essentially kind of the business software of your firm. And it, it's boring, but let's be honest, it is the day-to-day -day of, of how it all works. Um, and I think, you know, for, for a solo, every clinic, I think, today in law schools around the country tries to, in my experience at least, incorporate a tool like that. So I know at Suffolk, students use Clio, and they get used to kind of what that means and contact database and, and how they can share and collaborate um, so I think a law practice management system is just an absolute must these days for, for frankly, any solo or small firm. Yeah, I had no idea what that even was until I joined a law firm. I mean, I was like, wait, practice master, what is it? Like, you know, um, they didn't really expose us to that in law school much, so... Yeah, and what's interesting when we think about ourselves as consumers, I mean, I, I think about... Netflix or Amazon or any company or service that you enjoy, your mobile order from Starbucks, right? If we think about that, like, why do we use those? Because they're convenient. They make our life easy. The interface is comfortable. We trust them. All of those reasons. And, and we graduate law school most of the time, never thinking about lawyering as kind of that type of service, um, which is we're so focused on the substance and the legal advice. And of course that's important, but frankly, if your business stinks, 
and you don't call people back and you lose their stuff and your billing is from 1970, um, your legal advice might be top notch, but the modern consumer client is frankly not going to give you the time of day. And it's just, it's interesting to think how we just, you know, there's, there's not the time and space necessarily for most students in the law school curriculum to give that some thought. But I think you're right, Samantha, when students get out so often, they're like, whoa, this stuff really matters. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, you know, maybe um, like a class where they just, you know, a few times (laughs) a semester, you do a little like different practice master type. I don't know. Cause even billing, like what is billing? You know, I, I, it's, it's a bunch of technolo- technology stuff that you kind of have to be good at, too, and know right off the bat. It's not like you can just wait to learn it too long. And I have people say, you know, kind of the naysayer point of view, if you will, is that firms want to train associates themselves on these things, which I think is true, right? But But I think that training is a whole lot easier when a student kind of already has an introductory feel. And then the other thing I hear a lot is, well, well, clients can just kind of pay for this. And I'm thinking if I'm a firm, I am not going to be billing clients, you know, 30 hours for Samantha to fiddle around on Microsoft Word when she's preparing a, you know, 80 page M&A. Like that just a client is not in this day and age going to be billed for that. And if they are, they're probably not going to pay it. So I think both of those things are are not really quite the reality anymore. No, I totally agree. I know I have used Clio and it is definitely helpful. But I think it would be helpful to have a class just because what if your law firm doesn't train you on it or, you know, isn't the most organized, at least you can understand what's expected of you as you go on in your career, because, you know, you could be in a lawsuit about attorney's fees and, you know, you need to be able to track your time and talk about what you've done and everything like that. So I I love that we're having this conversation, but I want to know about your class and, you know, if you could give us like a summary or, you know, a little intro into what you teach and what some of the the high points of the class, just because I wish I would have been able to take something like that when I was in law school. Sure. I'd be happy to, but I have to first say that, you know, besides Suffolk, all the other great schools that are actually really developing great curriculum around this. So um, I think all of us are kind of thinking like, oh, I wish I had a class and more and more students are getting it. So a lot of law, law libraries are getting involved with a class called Law Practice Technology, or at Suffolk, 21st Century Legal Profession. Um, We have a class called um, Tech for Small Firms, all about kind of, you know, tools that help practitioners deliver services more effectively. So um, it's exciting at Suffolk. We're really proud. We've been ranked first in the country for legal tech now two years in a row. Um, but National Jurist Magazine, when they come out with these lists, there's now 10, 20, 30 schools on them that are really trying to develop courses around this. So I would be foolish if I was pretending that, you know, we're kind of the only one really focusing on this. Um, so I teach the first year legal writing class, kind of the traditional one. And I'm in some ways stuck because the, the time and space in that class, as we all know, is a lot of fundamentals early on of basics of research, organization, how to, you know, do a case explanation, how to analyze, how to compare facts. But I love to trickle the technology along the way. So I talk to my students, you know, if you're writing a brief, we do a 10 minute thing on just setting up styles in Microsoft Word and not, you know, using the space bar to indent and 
Um, just silly things like that, that they kind of have one of those aha moments. So that's a small thing that I do mm-hmm. in my first year class. Um, we introduce legal editing software. So we have a collaboration with a great company called WordRake, which is a little bit of kind of a track changes tool for lawyers that rakes your document um, and cuts out junk, basically. It's for brevity. It's for concision simplicity. So that's a tool we introduce to our students in the fall and say, hey, in the context of editing your work, lawyers pay attention to the small stuff and page limits. And and you might want to check out this type of editing tool. So those are two kind of small things. But um, then I'm fortunate enough in my advanced writing class to frankly do what I want. And that's where I've had a lot of fun bringing in, um, you know, we do a whole thing on redaction and we get our, get our, um, our feet wet. We actually, you know, how do you redact a PDF? We look at the kind of the cases in the news where lawyers have gotten to hot water. Um, we actually play around in e-discovery databases. So companies like Relativity and Disco have law school partnership programs where they can essentially create fake sandboxes of databases. And so you can get used to actually seeing how that works um, and not just talking about responsive or not responsive and, but, but actually do it. Um, so this spring I'm teaching that class again, advanced legal writing, innovation and tech for the modern lawyer. So the idea is doing e-memos, doing research, kind of doing that day-to-day uh, writing and research work, but doing everything through a lens of, of what's an innovative technology or just basically a different approach that might make this a little bit easier. Um, so I'm really excited for that. I'll be partnering with all different vendors. So Fastcase, for example, Case Text, big legal research companies that are now kind of not just Lexus and Westlaw. Um, and love to work with law, school, law schools, which is exciting. Um, so that's a little bit about kind of how I've tried to incorporate this into my teaching. And students, I think at first, are a little skeptical. Like, does this distract from the fundamentals? Um, But then I think they see that it really just enhances them and and it makes their life easier. So again, if I'm saving them 28 seconds, most students will say, I'll take it. Yeah, Yeah, it's all about efficiency too. And I'm sure that Mm -hmm. when they get into the real lawyering world, they realize, oh, okay, this is like really good to know. And Mm -hmm. I'm billing my time more wisely, you know, saving time and using it, you know, in other places. So that's, yeah, yeah that's, that's great. We learn in life, whether you're learning how to cook or a sport or anything, a little upfront effort and time is, is going to be needed, right? It's not magic, but, but sometimes it's a two minute YouTube video or a LinkedIn learning and it's just about attention. Um, and everyone's not going to have the same sore spot. So some students are great with calendaring, great with zoom, really efficient, but you know, don't know how to use really advanced analytics research tools. Others, it's the opposite. So that's, I try to tell my students, it's not one size fits all. You're not going to become, you know, a magic techie overnight, nor do you (laughs) have to be, right? It's not about being an expert. It's just about being aware of kind of ways that you can make your practice skills more efficient. And frankly, ways you can ask for help from experts if you, if you don't know how to do something. Well, Diane, can you tell the listeners where they can find you after this if they want to talk? I mean, you know, if they're super interested, maybe they should just go to Suffolk Law and be <laughs> in your class. But, you know, some of us are already graduated and I'm sure, you know, in law school. So how can they chat with you if they're interested about this and learning more? Yeah, I'm happy to chat with any student and especially, you know, from around the country, connect them to folks in their neck of the woods that I know through different organizations that are that are into these things. I love doing that. 
Um, so feel free to email me. I'm on Twitter at DLOLeary2 um, and LinkedIn. I'd love to connect. I have a new book that is uh, Legal Innovation in Tech, a Practical Skills Guide for the Modern Lawyer. So um, it's really meant to be kind of a beginner's guide, bird's eye, big picture, a lot of the topics we talked about. Um, and I really try to put it into kind of everyday, real life, hypos, um, situations, and ethical dilemmas, and really thinking about how this all plays out. So that's through West Academic Publishing. And a few classes are adopting that uh, for use in the spring, which is exciting. So I'm hoping students, you know, that becomes a helpful resource for them as they start their career. Um, but I'm happy. I love working with students. I love connecting them to whatever is going to get them going, even if it's not this. Um, and we'll be happy to chat with anyone. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for uh, giving the topic some attention for anyone out there who, who thinks of themselves or wants to be kind of a modern lawyer, whatever that might mean. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this lady is a baddie, obviously. But anyone who is so legal techie, you know, I love, we love a good person who also is good with the technology because man it is so important to be both right no I totally agree we over here at ladies who law school um love tech we're nerdy girls to the core mostly Mm -hmm. me um so you know I am all for innovating the workplace innovating our legal practice. Yes. I think that it was definitely fun for, you know, you to get to meet a fellow, uh, lady lawyer who is a tech nerd too, you know, and I also really wish that I could have taken her class. I mean, come on. First off, she's cool, but also like her class. Maybe we should have gone to helpful. Maybe we should have gone to Suffolk. Hindsight's 2020. We wouldn't have met though, but like, but maybe we would have both gone there, except I, I don't even know how to pronounce the name. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you learn, Very you true. learn with time. Yes. But I mean, it's just so cool that people do get the opportunity to have teachers like this. And, you know, if you are a pre-law student and you're looking into it and like Samantha said, you have the potentiality to go there, check it out guys, because clearly they're doing something right. As always, you know where to find us. Me personally, this is Haley. I have been taking a social media hiatus as we prep for the bar exam. Uh, Man, you guys, if you want to talk about avoidance and (laughs) running away from your problems and having to face um, it head on, we will talk about that later for sure. But this is part of what I had to do for myself just to draw some boundaries. And it's at first was so hard because it's such a deep habit, but I'm interested to talk more about it and like discuss with you, Samantha, how I felt these past and past, you know, month or so, whatever. And as it gets to the end, I've kind of been like, I don't even think about it, but then sometimes I do. So uh, I wanted to tell you guys that just in case, you know, there's only one lady who law out there that is answering DMs. So they're, they might not get answered, but we will get they to you as soon as, 
Yeah, well, like she I said, gonna tell you right like, after the bar, like we will go ham. But guys, like we get on Instagram uh, maybe once every few days right now. It's just like which you is know, good, priorities. It's bad for the, yeah. yeah. It's like bad for the bad body. For you like, guys, good like, for us. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We're like, oh shit. Like, do they think we're dead? We're not dead. Um, we're just like really taking this seriously, guys. And sometimes we need to put like make boundaries. And like, unfortunately, the podcast is something that we love to dedicate time to, and like we just yeah. can't right now. Um, but it's all for a good cause because once we pass this exam, you guys are going to be able to get all of the attorney content and all the things we mm-hmm. have planned. Um, so it's really so like a much win, new stuff, win, you know. Yes, we're all winning in this process, I promise. And we appreciate so many of you and the support that you've sent us and given us as we go through this trying time. Um, You know, like Samantha said, this is nothing that we want to have to do again. That's why we're putting our nose in the grindstone and really dedicating uh, that. Um, Something I recently heard that I want to share, and, you know, this is just kind of part of the, the, the journey and the bar exam experience is that every point on this exam is earned. So it is hard work and heavy lifting and there's no way around it. No, no secret pill you can take, uh, or, you know, corner that you can cut that is not going to affect you. And, uh, there's no reason to be scared of this exam, even though it scared the shit out of us last time, but really there's no reason to be scared of this exam. It is, this is, this is the time to be a champion. So, uh, with all that being said, guys, we love you. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and all that it has to offer. And you know, we're here, we're alive and we, we are with you in spirit. Yes. And as soon as the bar is over, you guys will hear from us again. Um, you know, like last time we did like a, raw very like right after we took it and we'll do the same this time because like duh it's like tradition that's gonna end after this time because you don't want it to turn into a tradition exactly and we are taking it in different places we will be not together just like you know when I talked about studying it's been very different this this taking of the bar exam will be different for us as well. And so I think it might even be a more raw reaction (laughs) if we talk, uh, you know, right after maybe the next day rather than a week or so after like we did last time. So we will see you guys again soon. See you guys chat with you guys. And, you know, again, we appreciate your support and uh, we love you. Love ya. All right. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will chat with you guys next month. Bye, guys. Bye.